0: there green future growers thanks for joining us today if you're new to the show i hope you'll subscribe on itunes or your favorite android app and let's get growing FreegardenCourse.com. mike and i have developed some lessons to help you create your very own organic oasis we'll guide you through the steps to build your perfect natural landscape an edible earth-friendly yard a sustainable deep bed garden or even start a small profitable market farm We'll show you how to save time, lower your produce bill, collect usable data, eat healthy nutritious food with minimal labor, um, use the most effective and efficient production methods currently being used in backyard gardens as well as market farms, and maybe even help you find some profitable markets. We've designed it to save you time, lower your produce bill, and help you eat healthy nutritious food. Um, there's checklists, there's outside reading, video assignments. Uh you can join the online Facebook community where there's lots of people from around the world to help you get your garden started today. So remember, free com. You just share whatever. I know you're gonna have lots of awesome information. And are you a millennial? Because I love millennials. Like, <laughs> I think born between nineteen eighty and nineteen ninety-five. Yep. Yep. I fit into that category for sure. Awesome. So I, I call the millennials I get to talk to are just rock stars and they're always out there doing these awesome things and, uh, super hardworking. I haven't met a lazy one yet and just, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty excited about them. So I'm always excited when I can introduce a millennial and kind of knock down some of that, um, reputation out there. Awesome. I love Cause it. Like, Cause like, look at Alexandria, <laughs> Oh, Ocasio-Cortez. Mm-hmm. I mean, now she's not a rock star millennial. I don't know. And granted, I guess she might not be, but I think she's, yeah, yeah she's like 26, right? She's yeah. In her 20s. Mm-hmm. yeah. She's perfect example. So totally. I love her. Totally. All right. Well, I'll just introduce you and we'll go from there. Now, where in Oregon are you guys again? Are you in Portland or does it say or
1: um, so I'm actually located in Washington. Um, we take care of our bees just a little bit north of Seattle. So we're in Bothell, Washington. Oh. We do some of our uh, bee propagation down in Oregon, too. Um, so we sort of, we travel all over the place <laughs> during bee season. Um, but when we're actually, you know, hands-on taking care of um, our big population of bees, we're in Washington State.
0: Perfect. Okay, cool. Here, well, here we go. Awesome. Uh, welcome to the Organic Gardener podcast today. So I have had a few different listeners write to me and say they want to learn more about bees, specifically mason bees. And so I've been reaching out to people and asking around and I found, um, an awesome company out based out of Washington or Oregon, or I guess we'll find out for sure, but, um, called Rent Mason Bees. And I have an amazing rock star millennial on the line, Olivia Shan to tell us all about their program and their business and just everything that they've got going on. So, welcome to the show, Olivia.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, go ahead and tell listeners just a little bit about yourself first.
1: Uh, yeah, so um, I've always been interested in bees my whole life, and Um, Myself, I'm sure like a lot of other people have been hearing that the bees have been struggling and our bee populations are down. And so I just decided when I was finishing school that I wanted to do my part and see how I could help bees. And that's how I ended up uh, running a program where I rent bees to people to put more bees into people's backyards and um, basically just raise awareness about uh, one of our native bees called the mason bee.
0: Well, I've got to go back just to even, like, a little bit more, like, maybe, like, what made you get a bachelor's in science in biology? Like, what made you want to go to college? Because so many people today are, like, wondering, should I go to college? Should I not go to college? It's really expensive. Like, And how did you, like, fall in love with bees to begin with? Like, when you were a kid or, like, just in college? Or how did that connection start. Yeah, I think
1: think I've always just I've loved all types of animals. And um, I can't really remember exactly when I first decided that I thought bees were really awesome. But, um, you know, I I had heard of the honeybee before. um, But I ended up taking a class sort of in between high school and college, um, where I learned all about the mason bee. Um, And that totally, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. It totally opened up my world to something I never knew existed before. Um, And so when I was in college, I was really trying to decide, you know, what should I study? What should I get my degree in? I went back and forth on all sorts of different um, ideas and different programs, and finally I sort of settled on biology because I thought that it sort of coupled my love for animals and nature and the outdoors, but then also something that, you know, would help me get a job in the future. I wanted something that could be really applicable and hands-on, um, and so any opportunity I had in college in order to do some type of independent project or whenever I got to choose what I wanted to, to focus on, I always chose bees. Um, and so like for my senior research project, I went out to one of the biggest pea patches in the Seattle area um, who were focusing on uh, what they called their uh, po- uh, power pollinator patches. And so I spent the whole summer just sticking my head in big bushes of flowers and counting the bees and identifying the bumblebees and the honeybees and, and anything that I could find. And so um, I just had so much fun um, with all of those different projects that um, it just sort of ended up, I was able to move into a job after college working directly with bees.
0: Oh, that story is so cool. See, I always say you don't have to know what you want to do when you go to college because you find out about these like crazy jobs that you never even know existed. Like who knew you could get a job where you could go around counting bees, sticking your head in flowers, (laughs) spending the summer that way. Like I always tell kids, like my niece just headed off to St. John's this fall and my granddaughter is going to graduate high school next year. And I always tell them, take any class that you can that has like an adventure of like going someplace. Like I got to go to Washington to study, um like sea anemones and starfish and like just ocean wildlife. And it was like a one credit course. And it was just so, I was so glad I went and like people went to see the polar bears up in Churchill, uh, Manitoba. Cause I went to school in Montana near the Canadian border. And it was like, it was like $300 to go over spring break. Like it wow. was just such a no brainer. <laughs> I wish I would have gone on that. I didn't really actually hear about it till like two days before it was happening. Or maybe I would have, figured it out or something a little sooner. But yeah, things like that are just, so I love the way that it sounds like when you got to choose what you wanted, you pick something outdoors and something that went with your passion. And, and it's so true about honeybees. So I actually know very little about mason bees other than I've attended, we have like this thing called the seed fair and there's been events there. And there's been like people, you know, they have like a mason bee business near here and I saw them, like, in the kids' workshop making mason bee, but other than that, I don't really know anything about them other than they're, like, a native bee. Is that yep. the deal? And yep, yep. Go ahead and tell us the rest.
1: Sure. So, yeah, they're a native bee found in the United States. There's a lot of them here in the Pacific Northwest, um, but their range is pretty broad, Um there's um, a bunch of different species of what are called osmia, so that's the genus that the mason bee fits in. So we've got about 75 different kinds of those bees around the area, but we focus on one in particular called the blue orchard mason bee, um, and they're, they're much different than honey bees. So um, one of the things that separates them the most is that they're called, they're what's called a solitary bee. Um, So that means that there's no queen bee. They don't live in a hive. They don't make honey. All of the females are able to lay their own eggs, um, which makes them totally non-aggressive. So that's one of my favorite things about working with these bees is you never have to worry about getting stung. Um, But the other great thing about these bees is that they are super pollinators. And so um, each female bee during the springtime can visit up to 2,000 flowers every day. And so she's going to be flying around in the springtime, visiting things like fruit trees, berry bushes, a lot of our native plants. um, And they're just going to be pollinating just about every flower that they land on. So super, super pollinators, really important for um, the overall health of our ecosystems because they're pollinating so many things in your backyard.
0: So I guess... I don't know I might be jumping ahead too fast but like why renting like how does that come into play like do they eventually build a a home or like what's that about.
1: Yeah, so um, a little about their their life cycles. So um, the reason okay. that these bees don't need to make honey is because instead of hanging out in their hive during the winter when, you know, no flowers are in bloom, that's what honeybees do. They hang out in their hive and they eat those honey reserves is how they survive the winter time. Um, instead of doing that, the mason bees are actually going to be hibernating inside of their own cocoons during the winter time. And so basically how their life cycle works is that they're hibernating in cocoons over the winter. And then in the springtime, once it starts warming up, they're going to be triggered to hatch out of their cocoons. Um, So here in the Pacific Northwest, that usually happens mid to late March. Um, The males and the females are going to fly around, they're going to mate, and then the females are going to be um, completing their nesting activity to lay the next generation of bees. And so uh, they're what's called a cavity nesting bee, which basically means they're going to be looking for little holes in your backyard to lay their eggs. And so that could be a woodpecker hole, that could be a hollow stem of a bush, uh, that could be in between the siding of your house, um, and that they're going to use those small holes to lay their eggs inside of. Um, And so that's what they're doing during the springtime while they're doing their pollination work. They're um, laying eggs for the next generation. So once they've done that process, those original adult bees that were flying around, their life cycle is over, but the um, rest of the year, those eggs are now going to develop into adult bees. And so um, these bees have a life cycle of one year, um, but we only see them flying around for about seven to eight weeks as adult bees during that year. Um, So essentially, um, with our rental program, we provide provide the nesting material, we provide those um, adult bee cocoons, um, and so people host them for the springtime. They get the pollination, um, they get to watch the bees flying around. Um, And then some of the bees are going to return to these small nesting blocks that we've built and provided for people to their backyards. Um, At the end of the season, like I said, that original population of bees, their life cycle is over. Um, But what people bring back to us through the rental program is that next generation of bees. And so we then take care of them for the rest of the year. Um, There's a little bit of winter maintenance that comes with taking care of um, mason bee populations. Just like with a honeybee hive, there's some wintertime maintenance. And so what we actually do during the fall is we take all of that nesting material apart, we um, scrape all of the cocoons out. We actually wash them. They're waterproof. And so we, we actually bathe our bee cocoons. Um, we wash all the nesting material to make sure there aren't any pests, any predators that could be harming the bee populations. And then we actually um, put the bees in a walk-in refrigerator to simulate that winter hibernation process. Um, so that's sort of the process that we go through with our, with our bees through the program.
0: Wow, isn't this fascinating? So do you find you have better success by doing all this instead of just leaving them out in nature?
1: We do. So um, because we are propagating a large population of bees, there are certain things that can um, hinder their development. Um, there's There are things called uh, pollen mites, which can be really harmful to the bee populations. There's a fungus called chalk brood fungus that can be really harmful. Um, and so, of course, there are bees out in nature who, you know, don't get washed every winter, who are staying dormant in, you know, the a tree in your backyard. Um, but what we're trying to do is grow larger populations of bees, in order to um offer them to more farmers as an alternative pollinator to help alleviate some of the stress on the honeybee populations.
0: Cool. <laughs> uh, do these go down and like pollinate the almonds down in California? Like, like hel- all the almond? Or are they different kinds of bees than those?
1: So um, we actually are just starting to pollinate some um, farms down in California with their almonds. Um, Our bees are really great for that because the almonds um, actually bloom in February down in California. And so our bees, they're a little bit hardier than honeybees, so they can actually fly at about 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, They don't mind it when it's a little windy, um, maybe a little rainy. And so um, we've actually seen really great success using these bees in the almond orchards because oftentimes honeybees they won't leave their hive when it's that cold out if the if the temperatures aren't warm enough the honeybees will stay in their hives and they actually won't be doing pollination work and so we've had really great success and and farmers are seeing an increase in their crop yield by using these mason bees because the bees don't mind flying at colder temperatures
0: oh i like that uh so then I don't know. What else can I ask? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well, one of the other really cool things about this program is that um, we're not putting a bun- like a bunch of bees all in one spot. So because we have renters all over the country who are now putting these little bee kits in their backyard, we are repopulating um, backyards with native bees. So not all of the bees are going to return to those nesting blocks and lay their eggs. Some are going to naturally disperse and find other spots to lay their eggs. And so over time, we're actually seeing um, native bees being able to repopulate these areas, in particular urban areas where, you know, our green spaces are getting smaller, we're building more construction. Um, And so what we're trying to do is bring bees back to those areas um, because not only are people getting the pollination of, say, their you know, their apple tree or their blueberry bushes, um, but they're also going to be pollinating a lot of the um, native plants, you know, shrubs and things that are growing just in people's yards. That means that those plants can grow taller, grow larger, um, they're healthier. That means that they're going to be filtering our air and our water better. And so bees really are at sort of the crux of of the health of our ecosystems. Um, they're really, really important for that. So um they do a lot more than just um, enable us to have you know fruits and vegetables, um but we really do rely on bees for that as well. So they're doing a lot of good stuff in the backyard in people's backyards.
0: I love that because like if you have flower garden and you don't realize how much more it's going to bloom or how much more I've had lots of guests talk about that their vegetable gardens thrived after they put in like a pollinator bed nearby and like when I went to visit the Brooklyn Grange farm on the roof, uh, like one of the things my mom was just like so in love with was all around the whole perimeter of the farm were just these beautiful herbs and flowers and just beneficial drawing attracting you know just really pretty different colors and sunflowers mixed in and snapdragons and just probably borage and Uh just uh, so many different flowers it was just really pretty and um I know it was there you know as a to try to encourage pollination and just um bringing more good insects to the garden so like how do you do you ship them in like a container like how does this renting thing work if you're sending them all over
1: yeah totally so um people um sign up for their rental kits um and uh so what we do is we'll package uh, we give you a nesting block a little house that you can hang in your backyard and then we actually have these little one inch PVC pipes that we've put um, caps on either end and that's where we put our bee cocoons and so when you sign up to rent a kit um, everything is included everything you need in order to host the bees. Um, I was going to mention not only do we work with mason bees but we also work with a bee called the leaf cutter bee Um, and so you can sign up to host either one or both types of bees The mason bees are the springtime pollinators, so they're going to be out in March, April, and May. And then the leafcutter bees are going to fly in July and August. So they're really beneficial for um, vegetable garden pollination. So they'll visit your tomatoes, your squash, cucumber, really anything that's going to be blooming in the summertime. And so we um, just package everything up for you. Uh, We send it to your house. You host them for the season. I give you all the instructions. I've got some YouTube videos, all sorts of stuff you can check out um, in order to, to be successful at hosting the bees. And then at the end of the season in September, I send you an email and I say, hey, it's time to ship your bees back so that we can prepare them for winter hibernation. And so included with every package is a return label. So all you need to do is just pack everything back up in the box, tape the return label on on, uh, the front, and then drop it off at your local post office. Um, And then that will get mailed back to our location just north of Seattle. And that's when we do all of the cleaning of the bees in the fall. So we try to make it really easy for people, really straightforward. Um, it's and it's relatively inexpensive. Uh, we charge 50 bucks, um and that includes everything you need to host mason bees for the spring season.
0: Wow. That's a great deal because, like, let me tell you, we've invested in several hives now, and it's been very expensive. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> yes, it can be.
0: And, again, we're without – I don't know what happened. They were doing good for a while, and then – I don't know, we, we bought local bees, we bought bees from the coast, we bought bees from um, different places, and, and like the hives we got were very local. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, were these honeybee hives? Yeah, or they're
0: honeybee uh-huh. hives. Yeah. So $50 for some mason bees that I don't have to worry about, you know, keeping in a hive or making it through the winter. Um Kind of sounds like a really good deal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, one of our biggest goals is to continue to grow our population of bees um, because we want to be able to work with more farmers. One of the other really cool things that we're starting to see, even though um, using mason bees in our agricultural industry is a relatively new thing, it's a new industry, um, what we're finding is that because you need so uh, 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 So many fewer bees in order to pollinate the same amount of acreage. So for instance, if you have an acre of apples, um, you may need one or two honeybee hives in order to pollinate that entire acre. Well, that could be upwards of 50 or 60,000 honeybees our mason bees are such efficient pollinators that you really only need about 400 mason bee females in order to do the same pollination work. And so what we're finding is because you have to use so far fewer bees, um, the farmers that we're working with have to agree to use less harsh chemicals, um, during the time that the bees are flying, um, because mason bees can be so, um, sensitive to those chemicals. Um, and if you only have 400, you don't want to wipe out your whole pollinator population. And so we're actually starting to see um, fewer harsh chemicals being used on these farms because it's worth it to the farmers, right? They're getting an increase in yield. Um, it's less work. They don't have to rent those honeybee hives. Um, and so we're seeing some some systemic changes in the, in the portion of the agricultural industry that we're working with. So that's something else we're really excited
0: about so uh I don't know what else can I add like I guess I'm thinking is it like eventually gonna be kind of like a franchise maybe I'm totally off there as far as our rental program or yeah or like how did you how did you start this like did you just start working for this company or was it like your idea to begin with or how did it start
1: yeah. So this whole idea of renting mason bees started, um, about 10 years ago in about 2008. Um, and it was just this little business as this woman started in her garage. Um, and she was going around the area, uh, teaching mason bee classes. And so, um, I had attended, attended a class of hers. Um, i I think I thought the class was about honeybees. And then when I showed up, I learned all about this idea the mason bee. Um, And so this really just started as this woman uh, wanting to raise more mason bees. She gave a few to her neighbors. Um, It started catching on and people were going, these bees are so fun to watch. I don't have to worry about getting stung they're a native bee you know there's so many perks to this program that um eventually she started to need to charge a little bit of money in order to you know be able to provide the supplies and whatnot and so um eventually it got to the point where so many people wanted to participate um she ended up selling the business to um, a man named jim watts who runs watts solitary bees and so um his family has been in the business of large scale pollination. So working with those almond farmers and apple farmers and that sort of thing. Um, but he said, well, this Rhett Mason bees idea could really go somewhere because it's so accessible and so easy for people who want to do something good for the environment and something good for native bees. Um, and so through one of those independent projects at my college, um, I was introduced to Jim, and uh, (laughs) uh, fast forward about three years later, and now this is my full-time job running Rhett Mason Bees. And so uh, I've just been sort of learning as I go and trying to figure out, you know, how do we make this as accessible as possible to as many people as possible? Um, And so I I do a lot of uh, local events here in Washington State now, I go to some farmers markets, a lot of, um, different, uh, plant nurseries and different conservation organizations. Um, and so we're hosted by all these different places where I'll do, um, in-person bee handout events. Um, so I show up with the truck and the bees and all the bee houses and people can come pick up their bees and, and, um, talk to me. I, you know, answer all everybody's questions and that sort of thing. So that's what we're doing on a local scale here. Um, but now recently over the last two years, we've started mailing the bees as well. Um, so we're just trying to figure out how do we get this into more people's backyards? How do we get more people to find out about, um, our program? Um, and so platforms like your podcast and, and different things like that. I'm, um, just trying to get the word out as much as possible. We've got the bees and we need the backyard. So, um, that's sort of where, where the program is going at this point.
0: Cool. So when can people order them? Like, is there a cutoff date or do you send like bees to different parts of the country, depending on what time of year it is? Like you're not going to send me bees right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A little too cold.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. But maybe someone in Florida like Kira Bellamy or Denny Cray or someone or in Texas or yeah what it's like in texas actually right now they get snow i know it sometimes too
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we have um, a big range of ship dates people can go on our website anytime and reserve bees for the following spring so my website's open right now for reservations um it's rentmasonbees.com um, you sign up for um Like I said, either the mason bees, the leafcutter bees, or both types of bees, we have a pollinator package as well. Um, And on there, you'll be able to see there's a bunch of different ship dates. So we start shipping um, in early February. So for people who are located in places where it warms up sooner, so um, like down in California, people start to get their bees in February. Um, And we ship all the way through um, most of April. And so for people who are in colder climates where it takes a little bit longer to warm up, um, we can send them later in the season. Um, Basically, what we're looking for is it's a good time to put the bees out when temperatures during the day are right around 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, It can still get cold at night. That's okay. The bees will be fine. Um, but we're also looking for available sources of pollen and so if you have fruit trees in your yard for instance you'll want to put the bees out when you just start seeing flowers start to open um, if you have other um, plants in your yard, uh, like for instance, the big leaf maple tree um, is a native tree here in the Pacific Northwest and they provide, those trees provide loads of pollen for mason bees. Um, And so we pay a a really close attention to the big leaf maple tree here um, to know when is that big food source going to be available for the bees. Um, So February through April are the ship dates for the mason bees. Um, The leaf cutter bees are a summertime pollinator and so we send those out in June. Um, and so you can go online and choose from the different ship dates of that as well. Um, now, do and,
0: those, those don't bite either or do those bite, sting, whatever it nope.
1: would be? Nope. They're, um, totally docile, gentle bees. Um, they have, you know, this short, um, time period of when they're going to be able to complete their nesting. And so they're interested in visiting flowers and laying eggs. Um, and so they are not interested, inter- interested in stinging you at all. Uh, we've done a little bit of work with the USDA Bee Lab in Logan, Utah, and what they're finding is that the mason bee, um, even though she does have a stinger, um, it's what's called her ovipositor, and so that's what she's going to be using to lay her eggs, so she does not want to use it um, and lose her her ovipositor, and so um, even though she does have a stinger, her body does not contain any venom. And so that's why it's so painful when we get stung by a wasp or a honeybee is because they're actually injecting a little bit of venom into our bodies. Um, If you were to get stung by a mason bee and the only time that would ever happen is, say, if you, you know, squished her in between your hand, um, it would feel like a mosquito bite rather than a a sharp sting.
0: Mm. Uh, I just keep thinking these would be great in schools, you know, where kids are. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, we're seeing a lot more schools start, um, you know, little community gardens, um, teaching kids early about pollination. Um, I went to a third grade classroom and I was floored by how much uh, the students already knew about the importance of bees and pollinators. Um, And it's really fun in the beginning of the season when the bees are just starting to emerge from their cocoons because you can actually hold a cocoon in your hand and you can watch as the little bee is using its its mandibles using its little teeth to chew a hole in order to be able to emerge from that cocoon and so it's really fun for students for kids um, to get up close and personal with these bees because um, they don't they're not worried about getting stung Um, so they're really fun um, to have in your backyard you can stand right in front of the nesting block they'll fly in and out past your head um and so a lot of um people who participate in our program just get really excited um and look forward to getting their bees every spring
0: now a few of the like seed swaps i've been to people were like mace- making like little mason bee homes mm-hmm. uh so is that like a good thing to do for some of the ones that maybe are not going to go back into that nest that you provide so that the, the, a few will stay at your property? And like they it seems like they usually like are wrapping up like a roll of newspaper into like a tube and then kind of sticking it in a box. Or I guess I've seen ones that were like painted like wooden boxes with holes drilled in them.
1: Yeah, so it is good to provide nesting material for for your local populations of bees. Um, It really is important, though, to remember that um, if you're going to do that, a little bit of wintertime management can go a long way in preserving the health of the bees. Um, So I mentioned the pollen mites earlier. Um, What happens with those is if you're using the same nesting material year after year, um, you want to make sure to clean it. Um, What happens is that if pollen mite populations get too large, and pollen mites are just, um, they're they're found in nature. They eat pollen, so they're found on flowers. Um, What will happen is because in nature the bee is not using the same hole year after year, right? They're finding new woodpecker holes, they're finding new branches, that sort of thing. Uh, When we provide nesting material for our bees, they're gonna find that and go, hey, this smells like a bee, it's the right um, size, shape, this is, and it's protected, this is a great place for me to lay my eggs. Well, if the pollen mite populations get too large, they will um, begin to eat that food source inside of the hole that has been left for the developing offspring so when she's laying her egg in those holes um, she leaves a little bit of pollen for that egg to eat once it hatches into a larva so a larva does not have wings it doesn't have legs it can't go out and forage for its own food so it's completely reliant on the food that's been left by its mother bee well if those pollen mite populations get too large they're gonna eat that pollen source and the bee is gonna have nothing to eat and it won't survive. And so I tell people, when you're gonna be providing nesting material for bees in your backyard, you really wanna make sure to clean it every year so that those pollen mite populations don't get too large. Um, That's why we have a whole process of washing the bees to get off any mites. Um, We uh, take all of our nesting material apart and we actually run it over a flame to kill any harmful um, microscopic organisms that might be in there. So Um, where do
0: you, oh, you put the bees in a fridge, like on like a tray or something? I'm like so fascinated by all this. Like, how do you go about cleaning? (laughs) Like, I'm thinking like, how do these people clean out the, like, where are the bees when they're cleaning it out?
1: Yeah. So you'll want to take the bees, um, whether you're using tubes or blocks, um, take, you know, take them out. Um, a flathead screwdriver can work really well if you just have wooden blocks. Um, the, the blocks that are drilled um, are much, much harder to clean, which is why I don't recommend using that method of just drilled blocks. Um, but a lot of times local plant nurseries and um, different places will sell different kinds of nesting material if you want to do it yourself. Um, that's sort of another reason why we started to offer this rental program is not everybody wants bee cocoons in their refrigerator for the winter time. Um, so we do all of that, that cleaning work, but essentially what you do is you would scrape the bees out of the nesting material. You would wash them. Um, and we use a, a water bleach mixture. So we basically soak them in water for about 10 to 15 minutes, um, And then, as I said, you're going to want to either use new tubes every year or you're going to want to clean, brush off and clean um, the wooden nesting material to get off anything from there. Um, And then once the bees are washed, they're dried um, because we don't want them to mold or anything over the wintertime. And then um, we just use large uh, Tupperware bins and uh, put them in our walk-in refrigerator. Um, And I actually have some YouTube videos of this whole cleaning process. Process, which I find is kind of helpful to to be able to visualize rather than just imagine, you know, washing bees is sort of a, a weird concept. So I've made some movies, some short, short little videos of, of that whole process that we do every winter.
0: Well, this is why I love rock star millennials. Because look at you. <laughs> this is so cool. Well, <laughs> anything else that you want to mention? I mean, you've told us tons of stuff. Like, I know it's just super informative. You've dropped tons of golden seeds, which is like what I call on my show, like, you know, golden nuggets or value bombs or whatever. Um, and just, I think you've taught us so much about, um, mason bees and bees in general and pollinating and, um, certainly lots of compelling reasons why people would want to do that. And, um, yeah, I think for sure, it's a great idea to be able to just rent these little pollinators instead of, going through a lot of these steps on your own i'm sure a lot of people maybe don't have to but mike and i have certainly struggled with bees we did not see a lot of bees we saw the least amount of bees ever last summer i'm sure it's a miracle our place even grew (laughs) sometimes but um yeah so uh i love just all your passion and and knowledge and um how much you you know just obviously care about Things. So, anything else you want to tell anybody? How about like a lot of times I ask for like business lessons, like anything about being an entrepreneur and kind of a green business that you want to share? Uh,
1: yeah, I would just say, you know, it's been difficult at times because what we're doing is something that hasn't really been done before. Um, so, I've just been sort of, you know, figuring it out as I go. Um, but I think the one thing that has really helped me is that, um, like you said, I, I just feel very passionate about what we're doing. I, I'm 100% behind um, our program. I think that um, we're having a lot of positive impacts in so many different places. Um, and, uh, anyone can do it. You know, anyone can host bees in their backyard. It's not hard. We try to give you, you know, all of the, the confidence and instructions that you need in order to be successful with this. Um, and so, uh, it's, re- it's been so encouraging just to see how many people are excited about bees who want to learn about bees, um, and, uh, want to do their part.
0: Cool. Uh, well, I'm one of them, so this is very exciting. And I, like I said, I reached out to you because one of my listeners, um a couple of my listeners, but one for sure, wrote me and, and said that they were really interested in learning more about Meese and Bees. So... Are you ready for my final question? It's kind of a doozy. (laughs) Sure. What is it? And you might just, I mean, it kind of goes right with what you're saying, but if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about, Olivia, or a project you'd like to see put into action? Like, What do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? And I I mean, I guess that's kind of why you're doing what you're doing, but I don't
1: know. Yeah, I would just love to see our green spaces growing. I think they it can have such a colossal impact on our ecosystem when um, people are just a little bit more um, aware of the importance of biodiversity. So the more different types of flowers that we're planting, you're going to be attracting different kinds of bees and pollinators and birds and and other native animals. Um, You know, as we see, particularly, you know, here in Seattle, we're seeing so much construction all the time and and so many things being built. And and so there are a lot of cool companies out there who are are are. even though we're building so much that are also putting in, um, you know, things to help our, our local ecosystems. And, and I see, you know, that's where we fit in a little bit, too, is, is putting more bees into backyards, um, creating more green spaces, encouraging people to grow more different kinds of plants um, just to increase biodiversity um, as, a, as a whole.
0: Oh, I'm so glad I did ask. That was an excellent answer. And (laughs) this is just a perfect episode because I just interviewed um, Tara Austin Weaver, who's from, she's from like the California, but then she moved to Seattle. She wrote this great memoir called uh, Orchard House about growing an orchard and a garden in Seattle when she moves to Seattle in her mother's yard. And then she sent me a copy of her newest book, which is coming out at the end of January. Um, I don't know the name, total name, but it's about fruit trees and fruit berries and growing, um, you know, produce that keeps giving back and all of that produce, you know, all your fruit berries and raspberries and blackberries and strawberries and things need, pollinators, they just go hand in hand together. And they also work really well because a lot of my listeners tell me that they're really busy. They work full time. They want the time. And so these are, you know, even like you're talking about with the mason bees, like the time Mike spent with our honeybees has been just, you know, there's always something going on. It seems like when those hives were buzzing and he just has put so many hours into it. Um, So this is a much more efficient and effective way Um, and like you said, you know, hopefully our green spaces will be growing more. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming on today and sharing everything with us, Olivia, and just tell everybody, um, one more time, your website and how they can order some bees,
1: Sure thing. Yeah. So our website is up and running rentmasonbees.com. We've got lots of different options on there for different kinds of kits um, that you can uh, reserve. And of course, I'm always available to answer any questions that people have. So I can be contacted um, directly um, at info at rentmasonbees.com. Always happy to answer any questions people have.
0: And do you guys have like Instagram or any of that kind of thing?
1: Yep. Yep. We're on Instagram, Rent Mason Bees. Uh, we're on Facebook. We have Rent Mason Bees and Twitter, Rent Mason Bees. So um, you can find us on all those platforms as well.
0: Okay. And I'm just going to spell it out. So it's R-E-N-T-M-A-S-O-N-B-E-E-S at right. com. just because it is a podcast and sometimes that helps. And it seems like Instagram is the place to be these days. So yes definitely well thanks so much for sharing with us and you have a great day thanks so much jackie freegardencourse.com mike and i have developed some lessons to help you create your very own organic oasis we'll guide you through the steps to build your perfect natural landscape an edible earth-friendly yard a sustainable deep bed garden or even start a small profitable market farm we'll show you how to save time lower your produce bill collect usable data, eat healthy, nutritious food with minimal labor, um, use the most effective and efficient production methods currently being used in backyard gardens, as well as market farms, and maybe even help you find some profitable markets. We've designed it to save you time, lower your produce bill, and help you eat healthy, nutritious food. Um, There's checklists, there's outside reading, video assignments, Uh, you can join the online Facebook community where there's lots of people from around the world to help you get your garden started today. So remember, freegardencourse.com. Thank you for listening to the Organic Gardener Podcast. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website at organicgardenerpodcast.com. That's just organicgardenerpodcast.com. And it will link right to the show notes and all that we've talked about on today's show. If you like what you've heard today, we'd love it if you would head over to iTunes and give us a hopefully five-star review. It really helps us get found and share the knowledge with other listeners. Thanks again for listening and remember to grow.